the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. UCF is officially a member of the Big 12, and while the Knights have high expectations, they're about to tackle, ahem, a schedule in 2023 that is as difficult as any they've ever faced. Quite often, when a team moves to a tougher conference, there's a period of struggle. However, with a Power 5 experienced coach in Gus Malzahn, and potentially their best recruiting class ever, UCF may be positioned to handle the transition as well as anyone. Do the Knights have enough to make a run for a Big 12 title in 2023? Or will there be some growing pains along the way? To help break down the team, I welcome in Chris Boyle of the Daytona Beach News Journal. Chris began covering the team prior to the 2022 season, and he's poised to follow the Knights as they begin their journey into the Big 12. He'll be here in just a moment to fill us in on what to expect in 2023. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talent and staffs. Chris Boyle has been on top of UCF's recruiting and has already written breakdowns of the night's first few opponents. Let's bring him in to hear what he's found. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, and happy to be here. How are you? Hey, doing really good this week. Chris, let's start with the current team. As far as returning offensive players, UCF brings back QB John Rice Plumley. They've got running back RJ Harvey back and wide receiver Javon Baker, among others. So how do you see this offense stacking up against the rest of the Big 12 to start? Well, I think offensively they should be pretty good. I mean, they have a new scheme this year. Darren Hinshaw takes over as the uh, the offensive coordinator. And from all that we've been told, he's going to be calling the plays. So it'll be a little bit of an adjustment with Gus Malzahn taking more of a CEO role, and Hinshaw wants to open up uh, the vertical passing game, which I definitely think was the weakness of UCF's offense last year, was very inconsistent. They didn't hit a ton of big passing plays, but if they're able to start doing so with regularity, and they have some players they like down the field with, with Baker, like you mentioned, with Kobe Hudson, if they're able to start hitting some of those plays and, and uh, getting more players outside the box, it only opens up more running room for Plumlee, for uh, for R.J. Harvey, and for some of the other running backs they have on this roster. It's a good returning group. They averaged almost 33 points a game last year. Um, the one question for me is just going to be consistency for Plumlee uh, as a passer against upper-level competition. He didn't really fare well in the three games they played against Power 5 teams last year, Louisville, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and Duke. Um, he's going to have to prove that he can, that he can be – um, a, a consistent player inside the pocket uh, against your your better athletic teams. He he had moments. He was uh, he had t- some terrific games last year, and he certainly instilled uh, confidence in the coaching staff. There's the all the players are are big for him, and and all the coaches love him. So he's going to be the guy this year. There's really not much competition. I don't think certainly not compared to last year with Mikey Keene on on the on the team as well. It looks like he's going to be the guy from day, day one, and um, you know they, they really are going to pin a lot of hopes on him, I think. Well, you know, when you look just to the north at Florida State, you can draw a comparison. 
because Jordan Travis started out as the running quarterback who needed to learn to throw, took a huge step last year, and this year they're expecting him to be, you know, much more of a passing quarterback than a runner. Are they going to try and cut down a little on that for Plumley? And I know that during the offseason, he's been attending the Manning Passing Academy and some NIL-based camps. So, you know, just talk a little bit about his development and what we should see that might be improved or, you know, different than last year. Well, I think you kind of have to take into, into consideration, too. I mean, he spent the previous two seasons playing wide receiver at Ole Miss. So there was going to be an adjustment period. There was going to be some some rough patches. But, I mean, overall, I think they were they were happy with what they saw. Um, as far as whether they limit the running, that's a really good question. I mean, he's, he had some injury troubles last year. He had a hamstring injury against USF. He had a concussion against Cincinnati. And, you know, they don't have the player in Keene behind them that has that type of experience and that kind of guile to, to play big games behind him. You know, Timmy McLean played a handful as a freshman at USF. Xavier Williams, who just transferred in from Charlotte's, played a little bit of football. But, you know, this is not the same level of experience when you had Keene, who played, a, you know, a pretty good chunk of the year before as a true freshman and, and you know, got his feet wet. Um, so I, I do think that there's going to have to be more strategy in, in when to, to send Plumley, when to let him kind of, uh, you know, run and take over the game. Because, I mean, it is a huge part of what he's uh, what he's successful at. He's a, a really good runner with speed who can take a play 60, 70, 80 yards to the house at any at any particular moment. But, yeah, there's there's going to be strides. I want to see him, you know, it'll be more interesting for me to see him in the fall. He looked pretty good in the spring, albeit against, you know, uh, you know, the, the, against his own team and, and some base coverages. And he only jumped into that game late, of course, because of uh, playing baseball the same night. But um, I think when we get to fall here, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, as much as we can uh, behind closed doors, uh, how he progresses throwing the football. Yeah, I think coming in, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, certainly a learning curve with the competition compared to what they faced last year being in the Big 12. So, you know, uh, he's going to see what the big boys are and he's going to be watching some really talented guys. So, you know, hopefully that will be a good, you know, uh, uh, measuring stick early on and then as he develops through the year. So, you know, it sounds like offense, they're, they're going to be pretty good, but they've got some work to do. How about on defense? You know, they bring back Sacks leader uh, Tremont Morris Brash and tackles leader Jason Johnson, and they anchor what looks like it's going to be a pretty good defense. So tell us about this unit and uh, how good that you think they'll be able to stack up against some of those high-powered Big 12 offenses? I think defensively, the, the the front seven or front six, really, in this scheme, they play a 4-2-5. The front six should be really good. Like, they've got, um, like you mentioned, Jason Johnson was an impact player right out of the gate from Eastern Illinois last year at linebacker. They bring back virtually their entire defensive line when you look at uh, Morris Brash, Josh Seliscar on the ends, uh, Ricky Barber, who had a... a, a double-digit tackle game against Navy and was a very important player in the middle of that defensive line and Lee Hunter as well and there's depth too there's there's really good competition uh and and depth of that unit with the second group you've got Malachi Lawrence Matthew Alexander who have been there and put some time in John Walker who's the highest rated freshman in the history of the school uh at defensive tackle he will certainly be on the field and see some reps and then uh Caven calls another another freshman out of Apopka that they really like, and he could easily be in the second team mix as well on uh, on the outside. So I think that's a really big strength. Uh, the secondary, I do think there's some questions. You've you've got two incumbent starters back, and 
Corey Thornton and uh, Brandon Adams at cornerback. They're going to have some new safeties. Uh, they they were aggressive in the portal to try to get some safeties in that have some experience. So they brought in Jaira Wilson out of East Carolina, who oddly enough was uh, American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Week the week they played UCF last year. He uh, forced a couple of turnovers. And then DeJordan Mask, who played a lot of games at Texas State. So it looks like that'll probably be your back four with Nikai Martinez in the slot corner night position is what they call it to round out the group. And Martinez played a lot as a true freshman last year. He was a four-star corner out of a, out of a pop gun. I think he's going to grow into that role. And I think he's one of the more uh, uh, players I think is going to take a big jump this year. Yeah. And also, I mean, when you're a coach, you love to see that number of starters coming back, which is, you know, one of the great reasons of optimism for this defense. But you're right. When you're breaking in new guys in that secondary and you've got, you know, offenses like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State that, you know, they'll throw for a million yards a game. You know, that, that's going to be a, a quick learning curve, too, for some of those guys that are transferring in. So, you know, l- let's talk about some of that recruiting class. You mentioned the highest rated defensive player UCF's ever had in there. You know, it seems like at least once a week you're writing a story saying there's another four-star commit announcing their intention to come to UCF. So is this UCF's best or highest ranking recruiting class ever? And who are a couple of the players that will make that immediate impact uh, as freshmen? Well, it's trending that way. I mean, of course, we're, we're a long way from December when all these players sign the dotted line and any anything can and will happen in recruiting over the course of five or six months. But yeah, they've been very aggressive here in July. They've landed, I think, six players already just this month. You look at Kylan Fox, who's the tight end, is the, the currently the number one player in the class. He's ranked 147th in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports. Walt Claire Flynn Jr. is an All-American center uh, out of Grayson High School, the same one that Fox goes to. They they really really like Stacy Gage out of St. Thomas Aquinas, and uh, he's been over. He's a Tampa native. He was at uh, Wharton the year before. Um, <clears throat> Quay Birdsong, they were able to flip from Cincinnati. Uh, Jacob Goods, a player they had to fend off uh, a, a number of top schools for. He visited at Alabama the uh, last weekend in June and. You know, I'm not sure exactly what the level of interest was there, but I know that they were they certainly had him on the board. But UCF was able to to, to persuade him to come on. Uh, and, and this is a team that I think the, the, the class is definitely trending the right way. They're 46 nationally. They've never finished in the top 50 um, for the high school recruits. And it seems like uh, as opposed to the last two years where they've signed about 15 guys out of the high school ranks. And that's usually what what drives the ranking down. They've, they've signed a lot of talented players. They haven't signed a huge quantity of players. Um, so they're, they've, they looks like there's going to, they're signing probably closer to the 20 to 22 number. They really want to aggressively pursue high school talent on defense as what I've been told offensively. Um, there's still some players they really want on the board too. Uh, Eddie Pierre Louis at a Tampa Catholic is a six foot four, 310 pound guard is near the top of the list. So we'll see how they continue to trend. If they're able to get some of these uh, few, few more like uh, premium targets. I mean, yeah, I could definitely see them challenging for a top 30, 35 position. Yeah, that'll be great. You know, it's just been so much fun to watch this team just grow over the last few decades. And, you know, me being a Gator grad watching, uh, UCF kind of embarrassed them a couple of years ago in the Gasparilla Bowl. So, you know, UCF's come such a long way. And, you know, moving into that first year in the Big 12, 
you always need somebody at the top who's experienced. And I tell you, Gus Malzahn was just right person, right place, right time for this program and to lead them in this direction. Talk about having that experienced coach and what you've seen out of Malzahn. And I can tell you, because we look at a lot of analytics and things, after UCF football, Gus Malzahn is the number two thing that people are Googling about this program. So, you know, it, it tells you there's a lot of interest in him. So just talk a little bit about Malzahn and just heading up this team. Well, I mean, you got a guy that's been there and done it at the top level. He's, you know, won a national championship as an offensive coordinator that the the team, the 2010 Auburn team, came back to Auburn after a stint at Arkansas State, led them to the national championship game. They lost to Florida State and it was a really great game. Um, he's been there and done it at the very uh, top competitive levels of the sport. So when you bring in a guy like that, you're you're instilling a culture and an environment that's going to breed competition and, and ex- have higher expectations from the gate, uh, from the get go. Um, the players have always spoken very highly of Gus and his staff and, and, you know, the fans are excited to have somebody on board that <clears throat> that knows what it feels like that knows what it is. And that, you know, saw firsthand what this program is capable of. You know, in 2017, when UCF went undefeated, they beat Melzahn's Auburn team in the Peach Bowl that year. And they did so rather convincingly down the you know the second half of that game. So I think he's excited to be here. He seems like he's locked in for the long term. I don't think this is a situation where, you know, sometimes when these when these uh, when the group of five teams, when UCF was finishing out at the American Athletic Conference, it's not a bounce back situation. I do think Malzahn sees this as a growing program, an opportunity to really kind of leave a legacy as as it goes into the Power Five and you know challenge for a Big Twelve championship. They've they've got the national title as, as certainly an end game goal. It's going to take a lot to get there, and certainly in a you know in a, in a three to five year plan. I think ideally they're competing for the big 12, trying to win the conference, trying to win the recruiting battles and and putting a really good product out there. I think that's a good starting point. And then when the playoffs expand, if you win the big 12, you're going to be right there in the mix. You're going to have a ticket to the dance. You're going to have an opportunity to do that and to maybe atone for what was lost opportunities in 27 and uh, 2017 and 2018 being able to settle it on the field and say, hey, we do belong here. We are one of the better teams in the country. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be a chance, especially when you expand to 12 teams, that UCF in a few years could be one of the teams vying for that 12-team playoff. There's no doubt about that. You know, after 2023, of course, this year, you still have Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12, but then those two leave. But for UCF's first year in the conference, you know, they're still there. So UCF will only play Oklahoma out of that duo. Even if, let's say UCF gets blown out by Oklahoma, would that even matter this year, considering that Oklahoma is not even going to be in the conversation in 2024, and this is UCF's first year there? I think for pride, it would matter. I mean, you got to factor in that Dylan Gabriel is Oklahoma's starting quarterback, and he was UCF starter for three years. So I don't think they want to necessarily get blown out by a, a player that was on their roster for uh, for three seasons and was you know, maybe the only reason he didn't finish out there at UCF is just because he had a broken collarbone uh, his what three games into his fourth season there so I I, I certainly don't think they want to get blown out in that game if they lose to Oklahoma it's expected right Oklahoma's 
the, the number three preseason poll, uh, team in the poll, according to the Big 12 media. It's a home game for them. Norman is an incredibly tough place to play. Certainly that team is going to be looking for uh, a response after a pretty dismal 2022 season and Brent Venable's first year at the, at the helm. They went six and seven. They were terrible defensively last year. So in, on the grand scheme of things, if they lose to Oklahoma, no, uh, I don't think it's going to be a detriment considering the factors you know, first year in the, in the league road game, tough environment, uh, a very athletic team in Oklahoma. That's got a, a lot of guys that will end up playing in the NFL someday, but realistically, I don't think you want to go in there and, and not show up. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to compete, but it, it's one of those games that, you know, could certainly get out of half in the second half in the second half. But, you know, again, what we're going to have to see, because when you look at the schedule, you know, look at and you've been breaking down some of their opponents uh, every week. You've been releasing a couple of breakdowns and I'll just read off some of like their their marquee games. You've got Boise State, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, you know, Oklahoma on top of that, Kansas State. So have you kind of looked and broken down what you think this team realistically is going to go record-wise this year? I think there's a high degree of variance. Uh, you know, if you ask me every every other day, I might give you a different number. I'd say somewhere between four wins and eight wins, I think, is about the the sweet spot for UCF. I think I think they can get to six, um, you know, and, and get into a bowl game, which I think would be a really good um, first season in the in the Big 12 for them, considering some of the tough games they've got. They've got, you know, three of the top four teams in the league. They have to go on the road and face. You got Kansas State to open Big 12 play. You've got a pretty underrated Texas Tech team that returns a lot of talent. And then you've got uh, Oklahoma as well. So <laughs> Boise, I don't think is an easy game. They finished the year. Yeah, they finished the year strong. They're one of the group of five uh to me, they're one of the dark horses for a New Year's Six game um, in, in that group of five. Uh, I think you've got Oklahoma State's a winning program. They they come here. Baylor should be better. Um, they come here as well. So uh, there's there's not really an easy game. There's nowhere on the schedule you look at and you just circle win other than maybe Kent State, which is a totally rebuilt roster, and Villanova, the FCS. But other than that... There's going to be a lot of toss-up games. And that said, I do think UCF is good enough to win a handful of them. They've got to be really good at home. They have to win the games. They play at home if they want to make it to a bowl. Their home schedule is, is a bit easier. Uh, West Virginia is you know, one of the one of the worst teams in the league. Um, you know, Houston is a team they'll have good knowledge of that they're going to be athletically competent to. Um, Cincinnati on the road, I think, is a winnable game. They've got a new head coach in Scott Satterfield there. Um, so I think the, the big games for them are going to be playing well at home. And then if they can steal, you know, one or two of those road games, they should get to six. I, I think they can do it. Uh, I'd say between six and six and seven and five is kind of where I feel comfortable feeling uh, picking them. Yeah, well, you're right there with Vegas because uh, one of the largest betting odds makers, I won't say any companies, but has them at six and a half wins. So six or seven, you're right on. With what Vegas sees them doing, I might hold on to my money there instead of instead of betting that line. That's a pretty that's a pretty tight uh, tight rope to walk. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's why they call it betting. But anyhow, uh, as far as NIL goes, you know, Florida, Miami, FSU, they have big collectives. They have, you know, lots of longtime alumni, and they're amounts, amassing major money to bring in top players. UCF, how is their fledgling NIL collective doing? And, I mean, look, they've got 66,000 students. They're the second largest public uh, university in the country, and they've been, you know, growing their alumni base over the last two or three decades. So, you know, what what type of money are they bringing in kind of compared to the other states' programs? Well, I mean, I think it's, it is a younger program, so you would expect that they're a little bit behind in the NIL curve, and, and they, they realize that, and they realize how important it's going to be going forward. When you look at the fact that you know, SJ Tui is now in, in charge of the Kingdom NIL, which is their largest, uh, you know, their largest collective. He's uh, he's a fame to most people from being uh, from the blind side. He's the um, adopted brother of Michael Orr. Um, so I think that's where people would know him. But he's also Gus Malzahn's right hand man. Like he's been on staff with him in a number of places. He was a a full staff member last year at UCF. And now he's in charge of the collective. So I think that there's going to be certainly a a tuned up uh, belief in how to, you know, coexist and, and giving players the right opportunities and being able to fundraise and, and get not only the, the current students there, but more the alumni um, you know, to, to buy in and, and understand how valuable it's going to be in the long term, not only for you know, talent acquisition, but also for the the, the long overdue um, facilities upgrades around there. You know, they're, they're also looking to raise money in different ways. They've reached out to the ta- uh, tourism board in Orange County for um, to try to get two thirds of their athletics village project funded. They're uh, going to be looking to do a number of different upgrades as they as they get settled into life in the Big 12. They've received a number of of large gifts uh, in, in the form of donations over the the last handful of, of months, um, you know, within the course of a year. So they are raising money, you know, as it pertains to NIL directly, that's going to, you know, mostly come down to the kingdom. It's more of a centralized um, collective as opposed to a, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of smaller ones. And now with somebody that Malzahn trusts in place, I do think that there's going to be a long-term uh, plan for success and, and uh, being able to give those players the right opportunities. I think a good example, of that's the John Rice Plumley camp in, in a couple of weeks, he's hosting a camp that's more or less meant to um, it's a kid's camp. that's going to kind of simulate what he did playing, you know, part of the day will be baseball, part of the day will be football. And Plumley made mention that, you know, for the uh, money collection, he was, uh, you know, trying to spread it out to his teammates. He didn't want any of the of the cut of it. He wanted his teammates to to be able to receive the uh, the accolades for it to help build a roster around him. So, I think it's interesting that that was, uh, you know, pretty well said. And you know, the fact that the matter is is that they, he he knows that you know I I have my I, my brand and you know I want my guys to have, you know, to be to benefit from this. Yeah, I like the idea of going to the tourist board because if Pat Williams can go and ask them for several billion dollars for a major league baseball team, it seems like UCF should at least be able to get a little chunk of something down there because they're taking in 50 to 60 million dollars a month in uh, tourist tax revenue. So maybe some of it will get spent on some of those facilities. And, you know, when you talk about costs, okay, you're moving to the Big 12. So with with other sports, not just football, you know, there's more travel, there's more expenses. 
UCF's never really been a basketball school anyhow. You know, things could look up for some of the other sports, maybe baseball, softball, things like that. But, you know, talk a little bit about this move, you know, financially and also what it means for these programs, especially, I, you know, my mind goes to basketball, but some of the other sports that are going to have to compete on a Big 12 stage now. Yeah, I mean, sure, from a from a logistic perspective, it's going to be more expensive just to send you know, all these teams across the country on a on a weekday um, to play different sports. But at the same time, the revenue sharing is going to be significantly higher. Like they're going to stand to make, you know, hand over fist money compared to what they're making in the American Athletic Conference when they're fully fledged members. And once the new media rights package kicks in, um, basketball is certainly the most interesting transition, both from the men's game and the women's game. The men's basketball in the Big 12 is truly among the best in the country. And UCF has not fared particularly well um, in conference play as an American athletic conference member. There will be a huge learning curve. And they're also basically fielding a brand new roster this year. They lost several key players. Taylor Hendricks was drafted ninth overall by the Utah Jazz. Theo Horton, who was a valuable player for them, uh, just transferred to Texas. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to kind of hit the ground running with a lot of new faces. So Johnny Dawkins has a big challenge on his hand to get to get that team ready to go to to at least be competitive um, in that league, or at least you know be. I'm trying I'm trying not to be too condescending, but it's it's going to be a big big jump for them um, going into that into that league and the same challenge uh, for Satya Messer in the women's basketball program. They, she had to go through a, a roster overhaul last year when, um, when they had a coaching change and uh, coach Abe went to Georgia and then she took a handful of players with her and their top recruits all followed her to, to Athens. So, um, you know, both of these programs I think have some, some growing to do. Uh, to to get to that level, but once they kind of settle in and as members of the Big 12, I think you will see a, a significant uptick in both um, quality and in the interest level in the sport on campus. Yeah, and you know, also UCF has beautiful facilities out there. So last year I went to an event at their arena where they play basketball. And you could just walk up and look into the baseball stadium. And it's just a beautiful stadium. The football stadium is nice. So, you know, certainly well positioned entering the Big 12. And again, building really all of this over the past 30 years. You know, that that's really when they went to Division One. I, I think it was 1996. So it's just incredible, you know, what they've been able to do and what really is a short period of time. So, you know, Chris, I think we've covered a lot of great things here today. Is there anything else on your mind that you want to get in front of the audience about UCF before I let you out of here? Um, I think, like I said, I think just the fact of the matter is, is this is probably about as exciting as a, a preseason as, as you're going to have for UCF. I mean, between the uptick in recruiting and the anticipation of, of power five football for, for a full year, I mean, it just, you know, there's a lot of buzz around UCF right now. They were picked eighth in the in the Big 12 media poll, um, which, you know, is kind of one of those things where it's a glass, glass half empty, glass half full situation. If you're certain subsectors of the fan base, you know, maybe you feel disrespected that you you go into a, a, the league and you're, you're picked to finish middle of the road. But realistically, they were also picked the highest of, of the four newcomers. I mean, the other teams were 11th, 12th and 13th. So there is belief that UCF 
is ready to 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 go in there and, and at least give it a go. And eight of the ten teams in the in the league last year made it to a bowl game. So that would get them in that kind of position that we talked about earlier. Like I said, that would be a successful year if UCF's in the bowl hunt and challenging and, and, and winning big 12 games, if they can finish around, you know, 500 in the league, I think would be a really good, it would be a really good showing for them. So I think that's just more or less for me, what, what, what the biggest kind of uh, story is, it's just that there's just a ton of optimism and a ton of excitement around this program that there hasn't been, you know, entering a new league ever certainly but you know for any one season i can't remember um as much buzz around the program as there is right now no that's great and hey eighth you're right expected to be in middle of the pack so anything better you know it's icing on the cake so chris i appreciate it we can find all of your great work on ucf at the daytona beach news journal's website which is news-journalonline.com. That's news-journalonline.com. And Chris, I know you're active on social media. Where can people find you on Twitter? Well, for right now, you can find me at Chris Boyle DBNJ. Who knows what Twitter's going to look like in a number of months? So, uh, when when rate limit exceeded started, I really had second thoughts about whether I was going to use the platform at all. I've yet to sign up for Threads. I want to see how that plays out before you know following the herd. But at Chris Boyle DBNJ is the best place to find me at DBNJ sports is the best uh, source to find all of our um, great content on Twitter and at DB news journal for uh, Instagram. Alrighty. It sounds good. So follow along with Chris. He does a great job. And Chris, I look forward to talking to you once we get games here, because we're only just a little bit over a month, month and a half away. I can't wait. Thank you very much. Appreciate coming on. Alrighty, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote former President Theodore Roosevelt, it is only through labor and painful effort, by grim energy and resolute courage, that we move on to better things. Well, UCF is certainly moving on to better things, and the best thing to do is join me again next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.